2: It's always good when 4 o'clock comes because I get to talk with you. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions in regards to how we deal with it according to the Word of God. Uh, Whatever your questions might be, we'll do the best that we can to answer them. Here are your phone numbers, 340-9585. That's 340-9585 or toll-free. You can call us at 877-630-KSLR at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also send your questions in via the free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the KSLR free mobile app. And in the process, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer, and they'll be able to put you through to us. So once more, 340-9585. Hope you had a great weekend in church. We did hear a ton of people here yesterday. Um, a really wonderful response uh, to the message that was given. God is really working in people's hearts. Uh, and today, of course, we uh, began... Uh, our Calvary Kids Vacation Bible School. And wow, is this place ever packed with kids. Uh, but not only kids. One of the things that blesses me so much is that uh, we have so many people serving of all ages, from adults to to high schoolers, to to even some who are just outside the age who've been coming to Vacation Bible School for years and years and years, and now they can't come anymore because they're too old, so they serve. Yesterday in church, we had a mother come up, and she said to me, she said, my son wanted to sign up for Vacation Bible School, but they said that he was too old. He wants to know if he can serve, and I said, can he serve? Of course he can serve, and I'll bet, conservatively, We had 50 people here uh, ministering to the kids, and what a crazy, loud, fun, um, but honoring to Jesus place this was, and the kids had a blast. We've got it going from 9 o'clock until noon uh, every day this week, and your children are invited. It costs absolutely nothing. Jesus already paid the price, uh, and they will have a blast and they're going to learn about Jesus. That's the most important thing. So we had a great time and it was wonderful. A quick reminder that tonight, because it's Monday, we've got our uh, men's, women's, and youth studies going on tonight for the ladies. Our Sweet Summer Devotion Series continues with Becky Alvarez uh, sharing her heart. And uh, Ladies, you won't want to miss that. So that's here at 7 o'clock. Pastor Ken will be teaching the men at uh, 7 through uh, the book of the Bible. I think he's in I don't remember. Cheers. I was going to say Mark, but I know he's done with Mark. So anyway, Pastor Ken is going to be teaching the men. Pastor Nelly is teaching the high school age youth. But ladies, again, you don't want to miss what Becky Alvarez has to say tonight. Uh, she's um, you talk about transformations and I went off on her yesterday in church and I, I think she was a little embarrassed she told me this morning she said I love you Pastor Ron, but I want to kill you too So uh, she's going to be sharing her heart tonight you can live stream it if you can't be here at CalvarySA.com. the ladies part at 7 the only part that doesn't get live streamed is the Q&A because it deals with some very personal topics at times and uh, we want to keep it that way it's very effective ministry that the Lord is doing so it's always better to be here in person. Uh, we have a program for your children. They're going to learn about Jesus, and they're going to have fun while they're here. Uh, tonight, however, if you walk into the sanctuary, it's going to look more like Vacation Bible School than as a church sanctuary. So uh, don't be caught off guard by that, but you will have a great, great time. 340-9585, Pastor Ken is teaching in Ephesians. I knew that, and I forgot. Thank you for the for the reminder uh, let's go right to questions because we have a lot of good questions sent in but remember we always prefer uh, your live phone calls uh, here is a question from pete from our mobile app pete says a question you just answered and this is would have been on friday uh, involved asking about early church leaders i recognize the name tertullian I've heard that name before in church history, and I think you said Ambrose. Who are these guys, and do you recommend a list of particular names from church history to study for anyone interested? You know, Pete, if you are interested, yeah, I I do. Um, I think the problem with this is it's not compelling reading history, unless you love history like I do. It isn't compelling. But but these are the men who, from the time of the apostles passing on and going to be with Jesus, uh, they would have been the ones directing the church. They would have been the ones sort of investigating the, the doctrines of the church and and codifying those doctrines of the church. Now, here's the problem with early church fathers. Uh, there was a lot of error, and there was a lot of arguing. It didn't just start recently. This has been going on from the very beginning for 2,000 years men in their flesh have been arguing about what are the basic doctrines or the essentials of the historic Christian faith, and the views are widely um, um, disproportionate, and, and I think at times what we need to do is read them for what they are. Imperfect humans trying to interpret the perfect word of God, some of them getting frustrated and giving up on it and declaring that it wasn't the perfect Word of God, and we get different styles in terms of interpretation. Uh, But it's interesting because it's sort of like going into your church or family background. You know, we got a lot of people going onto these websites now and trying to find out uh, who their ancestors were and fill out their family trees. Well, the Church's family tree includes these men, and some of them were very, very significant. Now they fall into different groups. One uh, is the Apostolic Fathers, uh, another would be the the, the Post-Nicene, uh, the, the Creed of Nicaea, the Church Fathers, and then there's the uh, pre- Uh, Nicene church fathers. Now, uh, the ones, and I'm not going to mention them all, but the ones of interest are Clement of Rome. Um, They were contemporaries of the apostles, uh, were probably taught by the apostles, and they would then be charged with carrying on the tradition and teaching of the apostles. Uh, There is uh, a man named Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, uh, and he was uh, a very influential figure in the early church. You can read about him, by the way, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, and that's a wonderful story. The only thing I would do is suggest that you get the, the modern English version of Fox of Martyrs if you do it. Uh, but there are others, um, uh, those who came after uh, the, the Apostolic Fathers but before the Council of Nicaea, men like Iranius, Ignatius, and Justin Martyr, Uh, Augustine would come later Um, um, he's often called the father of the Roman Catholic Church Uh, and and obviously there was some doctrinal error Uh, a man named Chrysostom uh, was um, uh, noted as a a wonderful speaker Uh, and and he was very influential uh, as an early church father and Eusebius now here's what you really need to understand that there was error in these men now when the creeds were codified and they rallied together around those creeds, God's hand was supervising that. Uh, When the canon of Scripture was accepted, God's hand was moving on the hearts of men. But that doesn't prevent some of those very same men from uh, engaging in error themselves. And for those who are rabid church history um, fathers of the faith followers, we have to remember and be honest about much of our church history is nothing to be proud of. Humans are humans, and we make mistakes, we sin, we fall away. And so the Church Fathers, while important historically, uh, they they really have no more value to what's doctrinally true or doctrinally correct than we do some 2,000 years later so that 's important to understand, and I think one of the the problems with churches with traditions, the Orthodox tradition, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, and their traditions, I think what they do is they follow their tradition so closely they follow them even when they are in error and are are um, they stand in opposition to what the Word of God says and and often those traditions give as much veracity to Uh, the tradition as they do to the Word of God. In other words, they put them on an equal par, an equal level, in terms of authority, and whenever you do that, what you've done is completely demean the authority of the Word of God, sola fide, um, faith alone. Uh, sola Scriptura, the Word of God alone. Those are the things that we need to understand. So to study church history is interesting, Pete, if you're interested in it. However, if you're not interested in it, it can be a bit tedious. I love uh, the, the, the thing that we should study before all church history is the Book of Acts. And by the way, a week from this Friday, we're starting on our Friday night services here at Calvary Chapel. We're starting again in the Book of Acts. And if you really want to go to church history, you want to go to the source, that's the source. And because the apostles of our faith, as established by Jesus, were the ones in charge, they give us all of the things we need to know for doctrine, for practice. Um, They're the ones who tell us in the book of Acts how church should be done today. And I think that's what's really, really important. So again, uh, there is value to it. Uh, there are giants of our faith who have gone before us, and we can stand on their shoulders in these last days. However, we have to understand that when they are in contradiction or contradistinction from the Word of God, they are in error. They are in no way infallible, and error is replete, Pete, throughout church history. One of the things that I hope encourages you, and certainly does me, is that in spite of the fact That church history is is overrun with error and pettiness and infighting. Um, God has sovereignly kept his church together because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So, Pete, I hope that answers your question just a little bit. Anyway, here is a question from our mobile app from Rich. He says, "How would a person know they're called to be a pastor?" Rich, that's always a difficult question because there's not Um, You know, uh, I mentioned in the study yesterday here at Calvary Chapel that we humans would like God to send us a text message every day for today's instructions. Well I think a lot of us who are struggling with, what am I called to be, we'd love God to send us a text and tell us what we're called to do. All I know, and I know this personally, is that if a man seeks the position of a pastor, he seeks a good thing. It's, It's not a bad thing. Uh, It it certainly shouldn't be ego-driven, and and to say that I'm called to be a pastor, for most pastors, has nothing to do with ego. Um, It's a good thing, and it's something that we should pursue. But I also know this, and I can't explain this adequately, Rich. If you're called to be a pastor, you just know it. Now, if a woman is called to be a pastor, we know it's not really God who's calling. Why? Because a woman can't be a pastor. If a man is called to be a pastor, you know it. It's almost like there's nothing else you can do. And after 22 years of experience being a pastor, believe me, if you're called to be a pastor, there's nothing else you want to do. So that's how I know the Spirit would bear witness to your heart. You would you would have that, that calling confirmed repeatedly in the word of God you would develop a passion and a hunger for the Bible rich I mean you can't be a pastor unless you know God's word and and learning more about Jesus is really what a pastor has to focus on and so that's how we know we're called to be a pastor you just know it's just one of those things it's not up to you it's up to Jesus when he calls you you know it I may have shared this before, but when I was called to be a pastor, people tried to talk me out of it. They didn't think, not you, anybody but you. One lady actually said, no, you're looking forward to being a pastor. My pastor said that anybody who is called to be a pastor goes kicking and screaming and and rebelling against God, but they just finally, they're dragged in. That's not true. That's not true. I didn't know really what a pastor did when I was called to be a pastor. I was only six months old in the Lord. But I knew I was called, so my job then was to find out. And I did that by reading the Bible, by really, really devouring the Word, by developing a love for God's people. You can't be a pastor if you don't love the people. You have to have His heart, because they're His people. And we have to rightly represent Him, because the Church is His, and we are His servants. So, uh, Rich, it's just one of those things It's hard to explain. But if you're called to be a pastor, you know it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from our mobile app from Kirby. In regards to the atheist who spoke of not believing there was a talking serpent in Genesis 3. Now, by way of explanation, this is a question that also refers to uh, a question that we had on Thursday or Friday. I think Friday of last week. Uh, in regard to the atheist who spoke of not believing there was a talking serpent in Genesis 3, was the serpent different, in a different form, when he spoke to Eve, and then turned into a serpent, as we can identify today, after the deception? Um, Kirby, certainly that's the case. Now we don't know what that form is. Now here's what I think, be, because I know the character of Satan, he is prideful. I personally believe that the serpent was uh, the most beautiful of all of the creatures. Uh, Except for Adam and Eve, the serpent was the most beautiful of all creatures. Now, the, the import of that is that he picked that which was beautiful and defiled it. That's what Satan always does. And supernaturally, remember the devil has supernatural powers. He really did speak to Eve in conversation that was understood. We also know for sure that the serpent was upright, because as a result of the curse, he was told his punishment will be that he will crawl on his belly in the dirt. And so the serpent wasn't anything like the serpents or the snakes that we see today, um, uh, attractive, um, upright, um, supernaturally empowered, and uh, it didn't take long for Eve uh, to be deceived. So um, yes, we know that the serpent was in a different form. Um, different than what we recognize as a result of the fall. You know, there's a lot of things as a result of the fall, Kirby, that changed. You know, uh, I, I often say that that uh, when ladies go to heaven, they get to meet Eve, they're going to say, how could you do this? Because evidently having a baby was supposed to be a breeze, something easy. And because of the curse, you will have travail, you'll have pain in childbearing. Um, the, the ground was cursed. Uh, thistles and thorns, uh, animals became carnivorous. There was all kinds of, of changes as a result of the earth. No wonder Paul writes that the whole earth is groaning even now as they await their redemption. So um, everything is different. We can't even begin to imagine the pristine beauty of the earth before the fall. So I hope that helps. Here is a question from our email inbox from Scott. He says, when was Eve created on the same day as Adam Adam, or was there a space in time when she was created? Thank you. Scott, thank you for the question. Um, we don't have a definitive answer. I think the circumstances demand that there was a space in time. Now here's what I mean. We know that Adam was alone, and God said it's not good for Adam, or for man, and Adam means man, by the way, um, for, for man to be alone. Now God knew what His plan was all along. But before Eve was actually formed from Adam's side, God had to create a desire in Adam that Adam didn't even know he had. Now, we have to really use our imaginations here because Adam was in this perfect place. He didn't know that he was missing anything. Uh, He's in this perfect, pristine garden. Uh, He's walking in fellowship with God. Uh, He he would marvel at at God's creation, Uh, and, and yet God, because He knew it wasn't good for man to be alone, He created in Adam a desire, sort of an emptiness for something else, and here's how he did it. He had the animals come to Adam, two by two, male and female, and Adam gave them names. Now we have no idea how long this took. We, we know that Adam would have, would have been pre-fall the most brilliant man ever, and he gave them names, hippopotamus, uh, we'll call you elephant, and those kind of things. Um, But as Adam was naming the animals, excuse me, as Adam was naming the animals, he was noticing something. He was noticing that every pair went together, and every pair was male and female. And after doing this, for however long it took, Pretty soon, Adam would have to get to the place where everybody has somebody but me. He would say, I looked at all the animals, there was none like me. You who believe in evolution, please hear that. I've looked at all these animals, and there's no one like me, and yet every one of them had someone like them. And Adam would suddenly have this desire created, this desire instilled by God. By the way, Rich? That's one of the ways you know you're called to be a pastor. God creates this desire, instills it in you. Well, for Adam, he would go to bed that night, thinking, I'm all alone. I love the animals, they're magnificent, but there's none like me. And it was at that moment when God put him into a deep sleep, and Eve was formed. And I think, Scott, that demands a passing of time. We have no idea how much time, but I think it demands a passing of time, so uh, there was at least days, if not weeks, months, maybe even longer than that, uh, between the time that Adam was formed from the dust um, and Eve was formed from Adam's side, so I think that is the answer to the questions. God, thank you very, very much. I often talk about that. In fact, I do a whole thing on that when when Paul and I do uh, marriage counseling. I think God is so kind to us, so very kind to us. Um, He creates a desire that we don't know we have. Really an important thing to consider. God is nice. God's nice. 340-9585. Three four 9585 We've got about four minutes left in this half of the program, but we would love to close out with your calls and questions in the next half of the program. Here is a question from AA from our email inbox, and this one is going to sting a lot of people. He says, The Bible says Christians should be subject to the governing authorities except when those authorities institute laws in defiance and disobedience to the Word of God. Uh, Romans 13, we know that, by the way, AA, because uh, when Peter was told that he must not preach the name of Jesus, he said, well, you ask yourselves whether it's right to do what is right in your eyes, or do what God says to do, and, and basically he said, as for me, I can't stop preaching this name, I'm going to do what God tells me to do, so you're right. We are to obey the governing authorities. And we're to obey those authorities until that point when they tell us to do something that contradicts or stands in opposition to the Word of God. By the way, ladies, those of you who have spiritual heads in your homes, your husband, the same principle is true. You are to submit to the leadership of your husband until he asks you to do something that Jesus wouldn't ask you to do. It's that simple. Now, continuing with A's question, he said, Mankind instituted the rules to operate motor vehicles, walking across streets and disposing of trash. If we willfully disobey laws pertaining to these activities, speeding, jaywalking, littering, are we committing sins? Yes. (laughs) Yes, sort of. You know, not, not all sin is the same in terms of consequences, nor in terms of gravity uh, or importance. Uh, but when we willfully disobey, uh, yes, it's a sin. Uh, we, we are being rebellious. Uh, Samuel told King Saul in our study last time that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, of divination. And when we do what we know we're not supposed to do, we're sinning not just against the government, we're sinning against God as well. Now I want to be clear, and and, and this is a hard thing to understand, you know, going 10 miles over the speed limit might get you a ticket, there will be consequences. But it's not something that is going to break your fellowship with God. You know, uh, sins need to be intentional and willful and, and sort of an in-your-face God kind of thing before fellowship is broken off with the Lord. So we can jaywalk, we can litter on the ground, um, and, and yeah, it's wrong. What we've done is wrong, and there may be consequences. But those aren't the things unless they're done in the face of God. Those aren't the kind of things that are going to really break our fellowship. Those are the kind of things that we can say, Lord, I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry. And and it's done. But what we need to do is be good stewards of the world that we've been given. We need to be good subjects of our government. We need to live our lives in peace and quietness so so that we're free to do what God wants us to do. But if you are doing those things, yeah, technically you're committing sins. Hey, hey, thanks for the question. Hey, we're about done with the first half of the program. 340-9585 or toll-free, kslr Hey, you are a lot more interesting than me, so please, with your calls and questions, we'll be back in two minutes.
1: The word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340 9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second 30 minute portion of our program, 340 uh, 9585. One of the things I want to say about the, the speeding thing, I, I once did a men's retreat at Calvary Chapel in Houston. And uh, I had a question like that. And so I answered the question similar to the way I just answered it. And I had a guy come up to me. In fact, he was, he was going to drive me. Uh, we had a, about a four-hour break. He was going to drive me to an activity that they were having at the, at the retreat. And so I'm in the car, and I looked at him. I said, uh, his name was Gene. I said, Gene, aren't you going just a little fast? And he looked at me as serious as he could be. and He said, Pastor Ron. My right foot is the last thing to be sanctified, <laughs> and I think a lot of us live like that. But but you know that's a dangerous place to be uh, when we're when we we know what we ought to do and we don't do it. Um, it's not a good place. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Ted. Uh, Ted asks: Are Orthodox Christians truly Christians? Uh, Ted, the answer is they are if they are born again. Now, here's the problem with religion. And Orthodox Christianity is uh, liturgical. It is based on ancient traditions. Um, those traditions are on par, as I said to an earlier question, with the Word of God in terms of authority. Uh, and and one of those differences is that Orthodox Christians uh, don't teach. They're not taught that they have to be born again. They believe infant baptism, much like the Catholic Church, deals with the problem of original sin. And you say, but the Bible says, and they say, but we're the ancient church, we're the oldest continuing church, and this is what our church fathers have passed down, this is what we believe. So the problem is, if they're not born again, Jesus said they can't go to heaven. And that's true with any religion, we can't be born a Christian. We're born into sin. John chapter 3 says that condemned already. We have to be born again. We have to have new life. And Orthodox believers uh, often will argue that point. One other thing that the Orthodox Church has has a real area, uh, a problem area with, Ted, and that's very simply that uh, they don't believe in um, what we call an essential um, um, belief regarding the atonement. They don't believe that Jesus took the wrath of God and the punishment for our sins. Uh, they believe He died, and by His sin or by His death, we're, we're we're healed, we're made well by believing in faith. But if if you deny the value of the atonement, if you deny the reality of the atonement then you are, are, are really flying in the face of one of the essentials of our historic Christian faith. If Jesus didn't take the punishment for our sins, if God's wrath wasn't poured out, Isaiah 53 says, the punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him. If that's not true, then there's all kinds of difficulties. So, Ted, um, they are if they're born again, period. Three four let's go to, oh, hi, Tanya from San Leandro. Good to hear from you.
3: Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing good. So I have a question for you. Um, I was uh, speaking to somebody uh, about my faith, you know, about how regardless of what people, you know, believe or choose not to believe, that you can never take away what Jesus has done for me. And that is, I don't care what anybody tells me, I know what the Lord has done for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And people that know me best know as well. So I came across an individual who said, have you traveled the world? And I said, you know, I've, I've traveled I mean, all over the world. Um, and this individual had said, well, I think you're misled. She said, uh, you know, Christianity is not as the oldest religion. There's been religions, you know, way before uh, Christianity. And I just have a hard time believing that all those people are wrong. And I said, you know, I understand dishonest questioning, right, that potentially mm-hmm. this person doesn't want to hear Anything, anyways. I said, well, you know, I can, I can show you where Muhammad is buried. You know, I and I talked about, you know, tried to uh, reason that way, but it just didn't seem. And I know this person probably had uh, ill intention, but what else is there? Anything else to say to somebody who says, look, you know, these religions have been around way, I mean, way past Christianity, long before you know, Jesus walked this earth, there was always other types of religion. And I can't she actually knew a lot of, listed them all off, you know. And, mm-hmm. and she said, um, you know, you need to travel the world. And, you know, you mean to tell me that all of these people are wrong? I said, well, the scripture tells me that they are, unfortunately, you know. and But it's not God's will for people, anybody, should, that none should perish. And so is there anything else you think that... um you know, I, I kind of feel bad be, because I, I know that some people just don't have the best of intentions with their questions. Yeah. But is there anything else that you think that, um, you know, maybe something else I could be reading or a more? Because uh, she did list, you know, quite a few world religions because she is a very, uh, I would say, very yeah. worldly person, unfortunately, uh, unsaved. Um, and so just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And I can take the answer off air. So Thank you, you
2: Tanya. God bless you. We love yeah. you and miss you. Uh, miss you
3: yeah, you know, Take I- care.
2: Uh Uh-huh. I always refer people with, again, you're right, it's a dishonest question, and there's nothing, there's no magic bullet, there's nothing really clever that you can say that is is going to convince somebody who doesn't want to be convinced. However, uh, I'll go back thousands and thousands of years before Christianity, and I like to use uh, the example of Abraham. Abraham was uh, an idol worshiper, uh, and he certainly predates Jesus. But when he saw Jesus in the form of Melchizedek, he bowed down and worshiped. That was after he heard God, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He recognized his error. Now eventually, using him as an example, I'll I'll say usually faith and what's right and what's wrong, it can't be subjective. It's either true or it's not true. So there has to be a standard of measurement. And here's the standard that we have. Only Jesus has changed the world significantly with the impact that he's had. One man, followed by 12 pretty messy people, changed the entire history of the world. No other religious leader has ever done that. He claimed that he was God, and if he was God, then obviously we have to do what he says. We have to take him as the authority, and so he proved that he was God by not staying dead, and you talked about Muhammad's tomb, you can go to those places. So founders of ancient religions, that's nothing new. The first religion actually started in the garden when Eve was told, did God really say? So the idea is there's got to be some objective truth, because two things logically, and this usually appeals to intellects, two things that contradict each other cannot both be true. They can both be false. One can be true, one can be false, but they cannot both be true, so it's really, really important that we make them think through the illogic position that they have come to. If an ancient religion, any ancient religion, or if all those ancient religions are true, then what we believe is absolutely wrong, and anybody who really wants to seek the truth is going to find out... um, What's true, if they, if, they, if they ask, Jesus rewards those who seek him. And if you really set your heart in finding out what's true, he'll show you the truth. One other comment, Tanya, and then I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Um, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, the conversion of another from an ancient religion, Saul of Tarsus, is a perfect example of what happens when truth hits us in the gut. So Abraham, going back thousands of years and, and before Jesus, and, and, and Saul of Tarsus, uh, a follower of that ancient religion, started by Abraham, a devout follower, a zealous follower. He comes face to face with Jesus, and his first response is, to, upon hearing his name, Saul, Saul, who are you, Lord, he says. He knew he was in the presence of God. That objective truth changed his life and changed the course of history. Same thing cannot be said for any other religion in the world. So I hope that helps you, Tanya. God bless you. And again, we miss you very, very much. Gloria had to hung, hang up. She was waiting from Austin. Gloria, we'd love to have you call back. Let's go to line three and talk with Scott from Universal City. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hey, Pastor Ron. How are you today?
2: I'm doing well, Thanks.
4: Um, I just wanted to make a comment on your uh, on your um, the other I guess write-in about the uh, breaking the law, jaywalking and and speeding, what have you, and, uh, mm-hmm. and and I try not to be legalistic about things, but for me, I look at why am I doing those offenses, and usually it comes back to self, and it seems like when I feed self, I become more selfish in other parts of my life, and mm-hmm. and I feel like that also becomes a barrier between me and my relationship with the Lord so I just want to chime in on that and that's just make that comment
2: thank you appreciate it very very God much bless you, brother yeah you know one of the problems we have with things like speeding is sometimes the speed limit is not a safe place to drive if you're on the freeway and I know this is uh, I, I could be ripped apart for this but sometimes the safest place is going with the flow. And we need to be safe. We need to operate our vehicles safely so uh, we, can, we can actually put others at risk as well as ourselves. So, again, there are, are sins that aren't as significant as others. But, but I think what Scott's point was, and it's very well taken, is that what matters is our heart. If I'm speeding because I don't care what the authorities say, well, then our heart needs to be convicted of those things and we need to, to, to make changes in our lives. So these are really really important things to deal with on sort of a mini level um, but, but uh, Scott's point was that if we, we start taking liberties or making exceptions it becomes really really easy to do that and eventually slowly our heart drifts away but we find ourselves eventually very far from God and that's a dangerous place to be. Three four zero ninety five eighty five Craig called into the studio and he said, "Is annihilation annihilationism right or wrong? How do you feel about this, Uh, Craig? It's heresy. That means it's wrong. Annihilationism, annihilationism. I have a hard time saying that word quickly. uh, Is the 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 teaching that uh, when we die we just stop, we just cease to be, so we don't go to hell, we don't go to heaven." We, we just cease to be. Now, there's different variations on this. One will say, no, if you're a Christian, you go to heaven and be with Jesus. But if you're an unbeliever, uh, the punishment for your sins is you just die, you cease to be. Well, that's not really any punishment. And that flies in the face of Genesis, which says we're created in the image of God. Primarily that deals with our eternality. So if somebody is proclaiming that um, they are an annihilationist, um, basically, what they're doing is saying Jesus is a liar. All of His warning against weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternity and torment are not true. If Jesus lied to us, Greg, then we're all wrong. This is uh, a road you don't want to go down. Uh, it's, it's contrary to what the Bible teaches very, 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 very clearly. Jesus spoke as much about hell as He did about heaven. And he did it because he loved us. He did it because he warned us. So, uh, just the idea that no, we 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 just die and that's what what happens, is dishonest to its core. And you want to be very very careful about it. Thank you very much, Craig. Let's go to Harold calling on line one. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hello, Patzeron. Say uh, hi. Hi. Um, have a hi. I have a I guess a question. But my sister Betty in, invited my wife and I out to. Uh, Brahma again and you know she's a good Christian and a really good Christian and she uh, paid for everything the last minute Sunday I had told her that I'm going to paint this cabinet and there's a picture of this lady said there's a picture of Jesus in it the one that the little boy saw and went to heaven and walked with Jesus I'm not knocking any movies or any books or anything and uh, I told Betty said oh yeah that's true you know we're both over 60 and I said Betty to believe in Jesus Christ died on the cross and expect to believe that that little boy died and went to heaven and came back. Now, you know, I don't need another miracle from Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And then she mm-hmm. told me, well, Lazarus came from the dead, a little boy was raised, which I know, and and a little girl. And those were all good things that happened back then, but we just got into this conflict at the last minute. And, um, about that little boy literally going to heaven and, and I knew his father was a preacher and uh, you know he had some talks with people and stuff but I don't know if you wanted to elaborate but that was my experience on the weekend yeah. I don't believe that yeah, boy I can do that. died and went to heaven yeah. that's all I got to say yeah
2: Thank you, Harold. All right. Uh, you know, we, right. We, we, need to be so, we need to be so skeptical of those stories. Now, in this particular case, and, and for some reason right now the name of this boy escapes me, but um, he, I'm sure you know the name, Harold, but, but, but the, the, he's already debunked that story. Uh, the books have been pulled from shelves, and the, the movie, w- once it was in circulation, was taken out of circulation. Uh, and the reason is because it was a story that was made up by his parents. So, you know, we we need not to be gullible. And to say that Lazarus was raised from the dead is a completely different thing. He didn't go to heaven. Lazarus was raised from the dead four days after he died, and everybody saw him. We know that the Apostle Paul died and went to heaven. He did come back, but those are very, very special uh, occasions, um, uh, people that God had a specific plan for. When Lazarus came back from the dead, he was such an effective evangelist that not only did um, the, the, the enemies of Jesus, after his death, try to put his apostles to death, but they also tried to put Lazarus to death. So there was a purpose for that miracle. Um, The Apostle Paul, uh, he had a purpose to see heaven. He was shown all the things he would suffer in order to sort of counterbalance that. He had to be shown the glory that awaited him. But he came back to die and be with Christ is better by far, but to go on living means profitable service for Jesus. And it was God's plan that he return. But to, to be so gullible that we take these emotional stories. Uh, Ninety minutes in heaven. Um, the, the the evil side or the the beautiful side of evil is another book. Um, the the Mary Baxter books. Um, uh, we have to be really really careful because these books are not true. One of the ways we know Harold. I'm sorry. Heaven is real is the name. It's Colton Burpo. Thank you, my crack research department got that for me. Um, that story's already been debunked. Now we know that when the Apostle Paul went to heaven. And he was sent back by Jesus. And talking about this in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I saw things there that man is not permitted to tell. Now that's pretty clear. So if man's not permitted to tell, then how is it that somebody could go to heaven and come back and tell and do so with the blessing of God? Do you see? We can't have it both ways. So. Scott, I'm sorry, Harold, uh, tell your friend to check it out. Just, just next time you see her, give her the name, Colton Burpo, Google it, and find out that it's already been, uh, they've already confessed it, it's not real at all, it's caused no end of problems for people in the church. We who are believers have got to stop falling for every gimmick to sell a book or a movie ticket. So please, please, please. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Haven't had a heaven is real question for a long time. Uh, Jameson wants to know: Could someone be called to be a teacher? without being a pastor. Of course, Jameson, there are two different offices now. I don't think a person can be a pastor without also being called to teach, being uh, being given the teaching gift. But absolutely, someone can be called to be a teacher without being a pastor. Uh, We have at our church alone, I'll bet, and this is just the ones who I know are actively leading or involved in teaching ministries, we've probably got eight women on a teaching rotation here who are wonderful teachers. We have a couple of the women who, no kidding, are better teachers than I am by far. And and they're gifted teachers, but they're not called to be a pastor. They can't be a pastor. We have men in our church and have had many more of these men in the past who are really good teachers, but they didn't have a pastoral uh, empathy or uh, a passion. Um, they, they, they were loners. They weren't comfortable around people. Um, so, so, yeah, they were teachers and really good ones. So yeah, you could be a teacher of God's Word. Uh, you could do it in a classroom setting, a, a seminary setting, or, or any other setting for that matter, and you could teach the Word. Um, but but to be a pastor is a different gift set, a different mindset. So uh, Jameson, if you feel like you're called to be a teacher and your name is, is uh, a female, um, if you feel like you'd be called to be a teacher, go for it. Go for it. A couple of the ladies that we have teach here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, I mean, they've been here a very long time. A couple of these these ladies, and and when they first got here, there was no one that I would consider less likely to become a teacher of God's word than than those two that I'm thinking of right now. And yet, the work that God has done in them and through them, and the equipment, or the equipping, rather, that God has blessed them with has been a wonderful, wonderful blessing to me for a very, very long time now. So uh, nurture those gifts. It is a great thing to be a teacher. And one of the ways that you can know for sure, Jameson, if you're called to be a teacher, is you can measure that against your love for and passion in God's Word. So I hope that helps. 340-9585, here is an anonymous question. Uh, How do you reconcile Christians being against abortion and for capital punishment? Now, anonymous, I don't know you, so this isn't personal. But this is almost always a dishonest question. This is somebody who is trying to prove a point or they're anti-Christian, sort of, uh, like the, the, the person that was talking to Tanya about other religions. So it's really, really important. Um, anybody who can't see the difference between putting somebody to death for heinously taking a human life and then somebody else putting to death an innocent unborn who's never had the opportunity for life. It's being dishonest. It's just that straightforward. It's it's so clear, and when people commit heinous crimes, they deserve the punishment they get. The thief on the cross, there were two of them, as you know. One of them watching Jesus die, one of them hearing him cry out to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was so moved by Jesus' words and Jesus' witness that he said, we deserve what's happening to us, but this man has done nothing wrong. This righteous man has done nothing wrong. A baby has done nothing wrong. A baby is an innocent victim, and a murderer is not. So it's a false dichotomy, it's a dishonest question, and anonymous, if somebody's asking you that question, I'm going to choose to believe the best, then you can confront them with the dishonesty of that question. Anybody who can't see the difference between those two, well, they're not being honest. We've got three minutes. We don't have any time for any calls. Um, here's a question from Devin he says, Pastor On, I've heard your position on women as pastors but do you believe churches with women in pastoral roles are heretical? No, Devin, I do not Uh, and I made that statement uh, I hope clear uh, many, many times Uh, a church that is led by a woman pastor um, or a woman co-pastor, a woman who teaches men from the pulpit with the authority of the pulpit That doesn't make them a heretic. It doesn't mean they're not Christians. It also doesn't mean they're not gifted. It just means that they're not being obedient for whatever the reason, whatever the motivation. And um, we we need to be able to make that distinction. Uh, If somebody goes to a church with a woman pastor, I've said many times in this program, they don't really have a pastor, but it doesn't mean they're not saved. Uh, If a woman insists on being a pastor, it doesn't mean she's not saved. It just means that she's operating in her own strength rather than in the power of the Spirit. Now, I always get the follow-up question, Devin, well, what about when people get saved because of their ministries? Well, that's because God loves the people. God saves people in AA meetings. God saves people in Jehovah's Witness Kingdom halls. God saves Mormons. It doesn't mean He has a stamp of approval on the institutions. But God will save people wherever they gather. And for a woman pastor, in this case, to take credit for that, puts her in a position where her heart is really in a dangerous place. So we can't justify the grace God pours out and use that to justify our disobedience. So if you go to a church with a woman pastor, it's not heretical. God will meet you there, but you're settling for less than God's best. And that's the clearest way, I think, that I can communicate that position. Where are we? Time wise well. We're inside one minute, so I don't really have... Uh, enough time for another question. I want to remind you that tonight um, Becky Alvarez will be sharing her heart uh, at our Sweet Summer Devotion Series at 7 o'clock. You are all invited to come. We'd love for you to be there. Uh, And we've got four more days of our Calvary Kids Vacation Bible School. And we'd love to have you. It costs nothing. Uh, You'll be surrounded by the most loving group of people. Get here. uh, It starts at 9 o'clock. Get here about a quarter to 9. Sign your child in. And they will be loved. And they will have a blast. And... Maybe the Lord will speak to your heart through the people, too. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the program today. Thanks for the call. Uh, Gloria, I'm sorry that we couldn't get your phone call. Maybe tomorrow. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock, Lord willing. See you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.